This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooker. Cool, cool, cool. Awesome. We stand on the edge of like vampant egomania here on Spooker. And we've got the solution this week and we've got it just just up our sleeves and we'll and we'll drop that little we'll drop that little extremely exciting and excellent piece of treasure for you just shortly. But um, the, my two most consumed bits of uh, media this week are both created by me. One of them is a TikTok that Shag and I'll discuss another time and we can talk about it then. And uh, one of them is the most recent episode of Spooko Possession because I think we're on a hot streak. And Shag, pride comes before a fall. So I think it's, uh, it's a very handy and excellent week to just, just to emerge from a little bit of back padding that I might be just on the precipice of getting into to really s- s- sort of bring in, some, bring in some expert views and really make sure we're not getting too high on our own supply here. So... Peach, you make a really good point, right? And mm. pride does come before a fall. Mm. And when you're on a hot streak, mm. I, I think the key is to bow out before it stops being a hot streak. Oof. Yeah, okay. No, no, I'm not quitting the pod. <laughs> but instead of doing another episode of Just the Two of Us, we decided to mm. bring back one of our fave guests. In fact, yes. we haven't had her on for a little while because she is a notorious scaredy cat, but we found a film she'd want to yes. talk about, and we'll get there in a second. But before we do, we need to welcome easily my favourite food writer mm-hmm. in Australia, if not mm-hmm. the world, to be honest. I, mm-hmm. I look, this is no shade. I don't know heaps of food writers, but you're definitely my fave. Has yep. recently finished compiling the sort of unheard voices in food yes. writing and food criticism, new voices on food too. Mm. Welcome back to the pod, Lee Tran Lam. Woo, LT. Thank you so much for having me, guys. We're so, we're so lucky to have you. And, and at Lee Tran, if we can linger on your publishing successes for a moment. Um, I've been watching, you know, and consuming food media for about 25 years. And in Australia, like in the mid to late 90s, there was this back padding moment, speaking of back padding, where it was all these white guys being like, do you know that we're sort of in Southeast Asia? And I went on holiday and I know how to cook with lemongrass now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so everyone, look out. Okay. And so um, the diversity or lack of diversity in voices in Australian food media has been a problem forever-ish. Uh, and, and we've been crying out for a hero here in the food consumption scene. So, LT, if I can just... I said we're going to avoid back padding, but you poor old back, LT. We've got we to gotta do, do, do a bit of padding. Um Look, heavy is the head that wears the crown, but but how are you feeling about having book two out? Oh, it's great. It was a lot of work, a lot of 4 a.m. kind of finish times, but, you know, it was worth it because, uh, you know, some of these people have never been published before and it's such a variety of stories in there as well from someone who fled Russia during um, the start of the Ukraine war and 
someone else who talked about how when he was growing up in Zimbabwe and you'd grow vegetables for your neighbours and how that inspired the restaurant he now runs in Melbourne. And, you know, really funny pieces like um, someone writing about her Arabic-speaking grandmother's, like, uh, hilarious obsession with microwaves uh, to the point she would, you know, microwave orange juice in the microwave as well. So. She's she's Dave Chang. Dave Chang owes a lot to her contemporary <laughs> TikTok Dave Chang. <laughs> Lee Tran, a, a lot of people know you as well from your podcasting mm. successes, including sort of the unbearable lightness of being hungry. And what's interesting is you open um, a lot of those episodes with the question of your, I'll, I'll say celebrity chef speaking loosely, was food a big deal in your house growing up? And I remember thinking and for those first few years of like, oh, that's a nice chatty way to start things. And what's interesting is seeing your career develop and seeing the sort of content you're putting out deepen and become more contextualized in history. I now understand the real resonance of that question that, you know, was food a big deal in your house growing up is a pretty resonant question to ask someone. You will have been asked a few times before, and I'm sure it's a cliche now, LT, but the horror community on this apparently now majority American podcast who've never heard of any of the three of us. are dying to know, LT, was food a big deal in your house growing up? And if so, how? I think like a lot of kids with immigrant parents, I didn't realise how lucky I was to have pretty awesome food growing up. Like there was a lot of shame because I grew up in a suburb where there wasn't a McDonald's and I was like, what a backwater to not have a McDonald's, <laughs> you know? Uh, and instead we had, you know, fur restaurants. We had uh, places selling like bun sour, the Vietnamese crepe, mm. you know, rice paper rolls and bun mi. Um, and for me, it was such a glamorous time in my childhood brain when like a KFC opened in the suburb. And then nice. also a source of like shame and misery when it closed because <laughs> why would a suburb where people go out and eat bun mi <laughs> and fur like need a KFC? And now, <laughs> of course, I look back as like, oh my God, you can get a Macca's anywhere. You can get KFC anywhere, but you know, to live in a place where you could go to the local supermarket and you could get lychee and rambutans and jackfruit um, is pretty awesome. And I wish when I was growing up I realised that. But, you know, this was a line of thinking perpetuated by a culture I grew up with where I didn't really see many faces that looked like my face on TV. And, in fact, neighbours notoriously had a storyline about a Chinese family and the big drama was whether they ate the local dog or not. No. Which was just, no, yeah. Yeah, so just kind of perpetuating that stereotype, oh, Chinese people are barbaric and they eat dogs. And I think there was a Guardian article that pointed out recently that the dog on Neighbours had a longer run on the show than that Chinese family, the Lim family, uh, who made a very brief cameo. So that's kind of the culture I grew up with. And if now I can play a role in trying to uh, diversify coverage and, you know, maybe make people feel like I'm proud of the fact I like durian or koshari or kotoroti or whatever food that you grew up with that's not white bread then I think I should, you know, take that opportunity. Before we do talk about this film, 
Because this is a question that's just popped into my head because it's become another bit of a cultural talking point again, I I guess with the rise of AI for some reason. But long-winded internet recipes where they spend a couple of paragraphs talking about their lives before they get to the actual recipe, you as someone who clearly cares about the context of food, yay or nay? Okay, so this is something that pops up like every two seconds on Twitter or someone going, oh my God, recipes where they give you their whole life story before they actually get to the point, what's with that? And two reasons. One, I think these people who are pushing out recipes for free online, they need to have those long preambles so you spend more time on their site so they actually get a bit more advertising dollar than if you just like jump in and jump out um, for two seconds. Um, Also, they all have a jump to recipe button, so that's pretty easy to use. And the third thing is like if someone's describing, I don't know, a Greek dish that their grandmother made or something that they grew up with eating in Sri Lanka or whatnot, like don't you want to know if something's, I don't know, the top breakfast Chinese noodle dish, you know, in Wuhan or something. It's just the weirdest objection, though, of, like, someone wrote something I didn't want to read. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Like, that's oh, right. okay. <laughs> and somehow your hands are able to complain but not use the mouse to scroll past That's such a good point. It does paragraphs. more, like, hand strokes to complain than it does <laughs> exactly. to just scroll down. Exactly. Oh, God. Sp- speaking of context... This is a film Mm. that's been out for a while. It's been discussed for a while. Mm. But what I think it's been missing is the food context of this film, the nuance Mm. around the actual length of research that's gone into making this an authentic food experience as well as an authentic horror experience. So today, Peach and Lee Tran, we are recapping the 2022 Mm. horror comedy hit called The Menu. This looks so shit. I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I can't wait to find out what you think of this film, Tom. Oh my god, me? T- I can't wait to find out what you think about it, Train. <laughs> I have strong opinions. Is that gonna fit everyone? Yeah, easily. Twelve customers total. How do they turn a profit? Twelve fifty a head, that's how. What are we eating? A Rolex? You have to try the mouse feel of the mignonette. Please don't say mouthful. Tonight will be madness. Welcome to Hawthorne. Here we are family. We harvest, we ferment, we gel. They gel. We gel. He's not just a chef, he's a storyteller. The game is trying to guess what the overarching theme of the entire meal is going to be. You won't know till the end. Who are you? I am Margo. Why do you care? I have to know if you're with us. Or with them. This menu. The pictures, they're of us. This guest list. How do they get this? It's not good. This entire evening. Jesus Christ. This is just theater. It's stagecraft. We're leaving. now. Has been painstakingly planned. This is real, isn't it? What the hell is going on? We now offer you a 45-second head start. This is what you're paying for. It's all part of the menu. It's okay. No, we're going to die today. Yes, we are. Yeah. Happy 
happy birthday to you. You told them it was my birthday? Seemed funny about three hours ago. Look shit. I'm really down. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Hayley Trent. I mean, mm. I, I mentioned before, mm. like, you are a, a fish. I, I think you'd be a you're like a proudly self-proclaimed scaredy cat. Yeah, yeah. I've seen you have visceral reactions yeah. to Game of Thrones yeah. fights. Yeah. How did you brave this film? How did you find this? Is this part of the podcast or is this the- this is part of the okay, podcast. Yeah. Oh, I'm not no, don't, it. like, don't worry, Lee Trey, okay. there's no one else here. It's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just worry. you and us. It's we fine. promise we won't put this in. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't sure if this is a waiting for uh, Peach to finish watching the trailer bit. But, no, okay. no, you've got my view. Looks shit. Let's All right. Go. Okay. So <laughs> no, we, I'm going to leave in that he says it looks shit. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a notorious scaredy cat, and I think I've said before, like Buffy level scariness is what I can handle, mm. which is like just bad makeup. Yeah, man. And you know, I would say Game of Thrones is pretty grisly. Like you see people being skinned and their eyes being gouged out. So that's <clears> you know, that's not the most uh, you know nursery <laughs> level kind of violence you know that's pretty full-on violence sometimes mm. the mini was pretty easy to watch because i think it's more suspenseful than like grisly gross blur i can't look at the screen i think i found it harder to watch us which you know i was sitting next to you tom when i watched us and i had to watch a lot of it by actually just looking at the ceiling <laughs> and kind of guessing what was happening <laughs> it's an interesting film. So this is this is the menu. It was hugely hyped. It was pretty successful. I think it it clearly made back its you know money and box uh, money and marketing at mm. the box office. It was really well reviewed, and it's I I I I don't like I have so many things I want to ask you about this Lee Tramp. But bef before we do, let's talk a little bit about the background of this film. So mm. it's directed by a guy called Mark Mylod who has. A really weird CV when it comes to filmography. So the first film mm. he made was in, or well, the first film he directed was in 2002, Ali G's In the House. Oh, Amazing. yes, that's right. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so after he did Ali G In the House, he also did a film called The Big White, which I tried, like, I couldn't really find out much about it. In 2011, he did an Anna Faris romantic comedy called What's Your Number? With Chris Evans. With Chris Evans, right? Yes. And then there was like a massive break between that and his next film, The Menu. But in the meantime, he did direct a couple of episodes of Game of Thrones and he directed 13 episodes of Succession. Yeah, he did, I think, some oh, of the best episodes of Succession. He's he did the he did the season closes. He did like the episode ten of both season yeah. two and season three. I think I think two of the greatest finales in TV history. So I was excited, but I was also surprised that he did do the Anna Faris, Chris Evans rom com about like how many ex boyfriends she's had, and one of them is played by Chris Pratt, and he plays a guy called Disgusting Donald. So it's such a wide ranging <laughs> CV, and I've listened to lots of interviews. Um, over the last few days, and he talked about how he made a uh, decision to take on gigs he was scared of. Because before that, yeah, he was doing stuff like Entourage. So then to take on a big VFX spectacle 
and just epic job like Game of Thrones where you're handling people in like different locations and you're handling CGI dragons. And then I think he's done such a good job on Succession. So that's why I was really excited about uh, this movie. So did you know about the menu? Like, did you know anything about it? Like, had you heard about it? Like, did it come up in like food media? So as soon as the trailer came out, so many people texted or messaged me and said, <laughs> have you seen this trailer? And I, as you guys have already said, am a notorious mm. scaredy cat. So I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to watch this. Because when it came out, I thought it was going to be about cannibalism. And it, it looks like it is PhD. Do you think that uh, was going to be the point? Are you fucking serious? <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's not. not even about cannibalism. No, it's so it's not. the game 25 <laughs> years on. It's the game. And we find out at the end that it's a trick or whatever. <laughs> uh, this, uh, like, this movie sucks. Well, <laughs> we will get into it. But one thing I want to point out is uh, on the topic of succession is the two writers – I don't know if you looked them up, Tom, but they used to write for The Onion. No. I, well, no. Look, he, here's, the, here's where my research ends. If there's not a hyperlink to their name in Wikipedia, then <laughs> they're just a name on a page to me. fucking gift. So, wow. So they were both Onion writers. No way. Tell, tell us more. So they were writing for The Onion. And how I know this is I listened to an interview where the two writers whose names I am going to look up in the next minute or so <laughs> if it comes up in my notes will tracy and sean reese or rice mm -hmm. they worked for the onion and i was kind of curious if they were into food or not because i have a theory that we will probably discuss further as we get into the podcast because i wondered is this film actually made by people who like food it feels like they have real no. disdain for food and they talked about going to a fine dining restaurant in Chicago. It wasn't one I knew about, but you know, I've never been to Chicago. And the guy was called Philip Foss. He runs a place called L Ideas, which it seems well acclaimed. They said it was a lovely experience. And he wanted to meet them and find out how they put the onion together. So he went out and hung out with them to see oh, wow. how they um, do the onion. And actually, the way they wrote this movie was a bit like how they write the onion, where um, one of them will write a slab and then pass it back, and the other one will pick it up. And while we're talking about succession, one of the writers, I think it's Will Tracy, wrote two episodes of succession, including the Turnhaven one, which is a dinner party episode, which, Tom, if you remember, is a bore on the floor episode. That's right. Oh, my God. I mean, to be honest, and I, I feel bad because Peach – refuses to watch succession no no I'd like every time i'm like yes i will like sounds awesome <laughs> there's a very good episode that's very similar to this film also something you haven't seen um yeah well look i i hate the phrase you're welcome but mm. to you listening you're welcome because finally we've got some like really thorough research about a film <laughs> i'm very excited to dive in okay so look this is the menu as I, as we said before uh filmed by mark mylord written by seth reese and will tracy Mm. From 2022, Ray Fines uh, and Ray Fine Fines, yeah, Ray Fines, Ray, Ray Fines, Fines. Uh, Nicholas Holt from a About a Boy and about a million British TV shows and film. Anya Taylor Joy, who you would know as she got her first like break in The Witch. Like of all the horror films you could be in, like Let's Live Deliciously, that's fucking amazing. Sick. 
So amazing cast. I now know an incredible pedigree for the writing. Really interesting and very topical subject matter. Very, like, you'll see, Peach, it goes very much in line with what, you know, we talk about and grapple with on Spooko every week. So let's dive into this. Okay, it begins with a self-professed foodie, Tyler Ledford, played by Nicholas Holt, and his date, Margot Mills, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, who are kind of our two main characters. Okay, so we hate Nicholas Holt for being rich and entitled, and we love Anya for being a member of the working class. Oh, we do. From the beginning, we hate him. And also, like, from the moment it began, Mm. I was kind of questioning its food credentials. So, Lee Tran, I'm going to explain this moment, and then I need to ask you about it. So, Mm. basically, they travel by boat to this private island where Hawthorne, this restaurant, is. We find out on this boat trip that there's only, I think, 12 guests every night. So there's one seating every night. There's 12 guests. It costs, I think, $1,250, around about that. It costs like $1.2, $1.3 thousand American dollars to go. And there's like an amuse-bouche on the boat over. And they describe it as an oyster with some shit on top, with a like- With mignonette, mm, I think. With Right? And- immediately she goes to just eat it and he, like, snaps her hand to be like, no, I have to take a photo of it. And you're you're immediately like, ah, fuck this. Like, this guy sucks. And then they eat it and he, like, laughs at it. He's like, oh, this is such a funny, clever, witty dish. And, again, she's a bit like, it's just a fucking oyster. When you heard the description of this oyster, what did you think? Did that sound like a legit fancy restaurant oyster? It didn't sound too interesting, you know, mignonette and mignonette dressing and oyster just seemed pretty basic, actually. It wasn't something where you're like, whoa, I've never heard these two combinations before. In Orphan First Kill, uh, there was a dish made of lamb with rosemary. (laughs) So So I guess this isn't quite as as bad. But here's the thing, like, and the other thing that we picked up, because I watched this with Adele, and she made the point where it's like, if this was, like, a really fancy place, and they were like, it's all about local ingredients, it would have been about where that oyster was from. Mm. They just go, it's an oyster. They don't say where it's from. They don't say Mm. how it was harvested. And that was, like, to me, that was, like, a little bit of a, like, a red flag for this film about whether they liked food or not. I, like, I don't want to go too, like, deep into this before we get into the rest of it, but Lee Tran, like, at a top level, what did you think, before we get too deep into it, of the menu, of the, like, of the, the literal menu, menu in the menu? Yeah, yeah, the actual dishes. I thought it was pretty uninspired, to be honest. Yes, all look like, right? All look like shit gels. Like, are yes! you fucking serious? That's like a joke from 20 years ago. Anyway, yeah, sorry, they're I'm like jokes about foam and they're jokes about <sighs> snow, which feel, yeah, 20 years old. Ah. Yeah. Soil. Oh, I get it. Yeah. And, you know, the kind of joke, which we'll probably get into at the end, of like, oh, I'm not really that full. I need to eat more. Um, It's not really that filling. Mm. Is it really food? What's interesting is Mike Marlowe, who I've actually really enjoyed hearing interviews uh, where he talks about the movie. And I feel like the way he described the movie was not the movie I saw. I would actually like to see the movie he described, uh, which mm. I think had a lot more dimension. But he said straight away he was a bit scared. He felt a bit out of his depth. This is not really this world. So the first thing he did was he got in touch with Dominic Crenn, 
who in his words and in many people's words actually is like um the first woman in america to have three michelin stars and uh he talks about it and a lot of people do talk about it like whoa that's impressive and to me that's also like an indictment on an award system where only one woman has been recognized Mm, as being worthy of the top that's such a good point Mm. yes but she was a food consultant on this movie and she apparently really enjoyed the script and i think the food itself looks really good and the first time I watched it, I was impressed by how they really nailed that chef's table look. And I thought, wow, what brilliant parody that they got those like mm. slow motion cameras and the close ups and all of it perfectly. And then I found out they actually hired the guy who made chef's oh, table, chef's table. <laughs> to actually help them. To do the cinematography. Yeah, or, or he helped them the on those food yeah, shots, which do look astounding, yeah, but have. It's sort of funny because when I watched it, I thought it was a parody, and I was like, "Well, this parody is pretty sharp." The food on, in this film, you can see in the previews, deeply less interesting than the food shot on Chef's Table. Like you look at this, and you're like, "Who gives a shit about this?" <laughs> but it's also weird because it's like to this point, it's like all of that effort's gone into it, and I think one of the things about this film that's really weird is you can't actually ever tell if they like food or they hate food. Like sometimes you're like, "Ah, oh, they're paying it out," and other times it's like, "No, wait, do they?" Do they love it? Is this, like, it's it's really difficult. Yes. My suspicion throughout the whole time I watch it is, like, this is written by people who hate this world. And then I found out that I think it was Will Tracy said the idea for the movie came when he was on an island, a private island, uh, at a Norwegian restaurant, pretty much like this, and absolutely hating it. And wondering about all the things that could go wrong and thought it could be a horror movie. And this is where um, the idea for the movie stemmed from. And I think this is why, as much as I found this movie entertaining and because there are funny bits and we might go through some of the funny bits, I just don't think it's anywhere near as as successful as something like The Bear, which is written by people who clearly understand the Mm. world of food. Mm. And have a love for it and have a love for it at both the level of like Italian deli sandwiches and also the fine dining level where someone might spend a year trying to perfect a dessert, but also recognize that there are problematic sides to that world. Whereas the menu just feels like people who are like once went to a restaurant and were like, oh, I'm still hungry at the end. Uh, What a joke. Let's Let's write a movie about it. It's like a Yelp review film. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, we talk about this. You know, horror is supposed to, you know, I mean, of, there's so many ways to do horror, but often it's you take a relatable fear and you make that fear come true, whether it's I lost my kids or my my partner actually is a serial killer or like I'm alone at night and those noises outside aren't mm. just noises. There's someone coming for me, right? I don't think being on a private island and hating the experience is like the most relatable. (laughs) So there I was. (laughs) You know when you're on a private island. Um, Okay, all right. Look, we are barely into the first sentence of this Mm. like seven paragraphs Wikipedia synopsis. I feel disheartened that you keep mentioning the jokes because it being Wikipedia, let's see if we can remember where they come up because I'm not (laughs) sure they'll all be in here. But anyway, look, there's a whole bunch of other guests on this island and it's it's pretty important you know who they are. They're all kind of caricatures. They're not real characters. There's Lillian Bloom, 
the food critic and her editor Ted. Wealthy regulars who's like an old couple, Richard and Anne LeBrant. A washed up movie star, George Diaz and his personal assistant, Felicity Lynn. Business partners, Soren, Dave and Bryce are all like, like finance, finance bros. Bro. Yeah, finance yeah. bro energy. Yeah. And then as well, the chef, Julian Slowicks, alcoholic mother, Linda, sitting in the corner by herself. The group is given a tour of the island by the restaurant Maitre d'Hotel. I don't think I've, I've heard that term before. I guess that's just the same as a Maitre d. Yeah, ma- um, I guess most people just shorten it to Maitre d. Played by Hong mm. Chao. Who notes that Margot, um, uh, Elsa, who notes that Margot was not Tyler's. Um, so Elsa is the Maitre d, and she's like, hang on, Tyler. And Tyler's the foodie, and he's like, you were supposed to bring someone else, not Margot. And he's like, yeah, well, that person didn't come, so I've invited Margot. And from the beginning, there's this, like, you're not supposed to be here, Elsa, like, energy to her. Mm. And Elsa is the canary in the coal mine. She's like, I know something's wrong. Something's not right about this experience. Can I say Hong Chao is amazing in this? I think the whole cast is so good. But I also love that Hong Chao, she really pushed to have, like, a really weird haircut (laughs) in the movie. Hong Chao plays the maitre d' and she is... She is chilling. Yeah, like, she is so absolutely good. Chilling. Yeah, this this I've I've heard as well. Like I, I, this this experience is akin to or like you know subtly inspired by Noma, which which almost had like a cult like staff behind it who were harvesting all the food and getting everything. Lee Trana, someone who's been to Noma, and both both the Noma in Australia and the Noma in Europe before it. You know, obviously it's about to close down. I think this year. Was it a similar experience when you go? Do they sort of show you around and go, welcome to Noma? So the thing that I find so interesting, actually, is the release of the menu digitally, like to stream, coincided with the announcement of Noma closing, which um, is interesting because it's closing, but in like two years' time. And that was also part of- It's so funny they can be like, we're closing in two years. And that was also part of why people reacted very badly to it. Another reason why people reacted badly to it was that uh, Noma has had stagiaires or interns for a long time. I knew that they had stagiaires, but I also, I always thought it was like, you know, I've worked on magazines where you've had like one or two work experience kids help Mm -hmm. you out, but they're not fundamental to- the day-to-day running of things. So I think in my head I just thought they had a small amount of stagiaires, but it's come out that like half their workforce are stagiaires, so unpaid. And mm. they got a lot of flack for it uh, last year, so they said we are going to pay our stagiaires. And just a few months later they came and said, ah, oh, we... We're closing down. This is, yeah, <laughs> oh we're closing down. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. So that's part of why people have reacted really badly to it. But the... F- Interesting thing is so many people referenced the menu when they were talking about Noma wow. closing and almost as if the restaurant in the menu is fact and not satire. And I find that interesting because the production designer spent time at Noma and I think uh, part of the production or the look of this restaurant has been inspired by Noma. But the thing I think a lot of people miss is... And, you know, I don't want to um, belittle or, like, trivialise stagiaires who've worked at Noma and said they had a terrible time. And I think any system that relies on half of its workforce working for free, doing very mm. long hours, 
um, obviously is problematic. So I just want to put that out there and I want to say mm. I'm like excusing that or anything. Um, I can't wait to hear what's coming next though. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> the thing that is missing from so much of this coverage, particularly of Noma closing and also of the menu, is that the restaurant in the menu is so humorless and Noma is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Like, you go there and you almost get, like, ambushed with, like, welcomes. When I went to the Noma in Copenhagen, like, the first dish was this, it looked like a flower pot, but actually it was a potato soup. And he, like, sipped from this, like, pot of herbs. So the, the herbs are kind of, like, in your face as you're sipping uh, the potato soup. And the last dish was also a flower pot, um, but it was a cake that you kind of slice. So somehow it was a flower pot. Like there's a lot of whimsical and fun stuff. And that's why I think it's different to the restaurant in the menu. It just sound just seems so humorless and dour and stripped of joy. I think that's it, right? Uh, I mean, Peach, you like we and in fact we've been to like celebration dinners over the years where we've been to Mm. fancy places Mm. and i feel like maybe in the 80s you went to a fancy place and everyone was like really cold and was like basically like threw dishes at you and were like fuck you if you didn't know anything i feel like anytime you go to a fancy place now and i feel like in the past 10 years people like are so they're like hey welcome they're so welcoming Mm. and i think the weird thing about this film is this restaurant is so cold, to your point. It's ice cold. And that just immediately just didn't ring true to me. It was like, why would anyone spend money to go to Hawthorne? Yeah, no one making this film has been to a restaurant it, like it felt like to me watching the trailer. Or like, yeah, certainly not thought about it beyond a like, deeply superficial level. It's almost like their assumption of what a fine dining yes. restaurant is yes. rather yes. than. And I would say um, Noma for all its uh, problems and criticisms Something that it really pioneered was a really kind of fun, laid-back sense of service where uh, the waiters would joke with you. You would crack jokes with them. So at Noma Australia, I remember they brought out a dish where maybe the berries were foraged from Canberra and we cracked a joke with them about, oh, Canberra, finally useful for something else besides legal (laughs) fireworks. And, you know, they riffed with us. So it wasn't like this kind of snooty look down at you – you know, we're going to treat everything as if it's like a lifeless museum exhibit. So it's Mm. funny because Noma like really pushed for um, a fine dining restaurant to not have tablecloths and to, you know, play loud, inappropriate music in the kitchen. And so it's just funny that the conception of it now is that it's just completely zapped of joy and, yeah. yeah. Yes. It's like it's, it's like all the writers knew about going to restaurants was from like Mad magazines published, <laughs> yeah, published before right. 1972. Right. So, so this being Wikipedia, this gets straight into things. So, nice. uh, dinner begins, mm. and Chef Slowick Ray, fin- Ray finds the way that they they characterize him. He's um like he's so ultra pretentious. His staff are militant, <laughs> and like the yes chef. Like, it's clearly a satire. The Yes Chef is like an army. It's like, yes, chef, and everyone does it at the same time. He barely smiles. Uh, he talks like an Austin Powers supervillain when he's describing the dishes. And and the film, I guess, is c- centred around these dishes, 
So the first one, and the first one to me, I was like, "Oh, is the structure of the film based around the courses. yeah, the, yeah?" And I'm like, the first one to me, I'm like, this would have been cool oh, like sucks. twenty years ago, maybe. It's like a rock garden with sea creatures and like seaweed foraged from the water around it. Is that like what did you think of this Dishley chat? Yeah, that also seemed really dated as well. Yeah, I thought you were about to mention the breadless mm. bread plate. Oh yeah, so then the next, so that's the first course, and then the next course is the bread course. But then he makes a point to be like, bread used to be like a staple for people. If you didn't have money, you could still have bread. But all you people are super privileged, so I'm going to flip this and I'm going to give you a bread course without bread. So they just get like a plate with like a small little dipping things, but no bread, mm. and like. And what, and what's... That's the shittest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I definitely cringe during this part. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and what's funny is, so so number one, the foodie is like, oh, this is brilliant. Like, he's done it again. Oh, no. Whereas the finance bros are like, yo, man, can you just like, I'm a really important person. Can you like bring me some bread, yo? And yeah. like the waiters are like, no, you can't. Like, I just like rude to them. And it's like, what is going on? On? What restaurant oh, does God. this happen in? It's like in America, like as white staff, you only get paid in tips for fuck's sake. <laughs> really so fun. like the white staff is going to be, it's, oh, it's Karen's <laughs> Diner in Campbelltown. It's like, no, it's not fucking Karen's <laughs> Diner. Like, oh, God, this movie sucks. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm so glad I'm on the record before knowing anything about it that <laughs> <yeah>. it sucks. <laughs> Actually, it, it's really funny how, like, we were, we were like, let's wait till the end to tell us everyone what we think. And it's like, I think I've worked out you and me probably share the same slightly disappointed view of this of this film and its potential. I did find it really entertaining. Like, I thought mm. some of the jokes were pretty funny and the way they... I actually really laughed at the moment where, like, the privileged finance bros were like, hey, uh, where's our bread? Can we have some bread and a gluten-free one for my friend over here? <laughs> and the guy does, like, a clicky kind of, like, entitled, like, over here, some bread for me kind of gesture. So I thought the casting was so good. Um, but, yeah, I think this film, for all its cleverness, is maybe a little too smug, and that's why I didn't ultimately enjoy it fully so oh it's going to get smugger and from here like the first two the first two courses are an amuse-bouche for the sort of biting satire we're going to get for the (laughs) remaining courses of the menu (laughs) so for the third course and this feels like such a cop-out because the first two courses at least have a conceptual thought the third Mm. course is literally just some images laser printed onto some tortillas. It's like they didn't even like, they're like, here's, it's like that's not affecting the food at all. Like, surely you wouldn't spend heaps of money to get a laser printed tortilla that's like the laser printing does nothing to it. But, but on each, to- on each table, there's a laser printed image on the tortilla that are uncomfortable truths. For each of the guests. So- Heston Blumenthal like, did that in like 1998. <laughs> like, it just feels like the oldest, most it fucking really boring, so- played out idea. But, but, but wait, but wait. So, remember how I said you've got to remember that all the characters are important. So, with um, the finance bros, we know it's it's like balance sheets that show they were embezzling money. Like, I'm sorry, Lee Tran went to a restaurant in Japan that gave her chicken to like take away in a box that was made for her and had, like, clippings about her. That would have been, what, 10 years ago, LT? <laughs> that was a little while ago, yes. 
But yeah, and also it was fun. Sake. There was a thing, it was fun. Yeah, yeah that uncomfortable yeah. truth about your life. <laughs> <laughs> the pages from your diary or something. <laughs> like, how did you get this? <laughs> so, so, okay, so, so I'm, I'm trying to remember what they all are. So the old couple... Um, an affair. And, and, and Fucking there, fine. Uh, Wikipedia doesn't talk about this, but remember, there's an old rich couple. For some reason, the old man knows Margot, the date of our foodie, but won't reveal why. Meanwhile, their image is him sitting at like a table, like with his arm around another woman that's clearly not his wife, and his wife's like, "What are these? Fo- what are what are these photos?" And this woman, she remarks, looks a lot like their daughter. Yes, and yes. also looks a lot like uh, Margot, aka Anya Taylor Joy. So we know something is fishy here. Yeah, yeah. Then so the finance bros embezzling. From I each can't other? Remember the or oh, no, the actor had the poster for one of his films. Yeah, it was a I real think? flop, but he was like, you know, it, you know, he's like, I'm just an actor. I don't really write the script or anything, which is fair enough. It wasn't yeah. a great film. And then the food critic, uh, and we should talk about this, had, I think, the reviews of um, restaurants that she panned and thus closed down. What I also had, like, not just what? the food. There's, like, this food critic clearly is, like, super wealthy and has an editor who is basically her, like, lackey, her her assistant. Do all powerful, wealthy <laughs> food critics exist in 2023? Richard? I thought this was the weirdest interpretation of a food critic I'd ever <laughs> seen. It was like well, the writers have seen Ratatouille and were like, "Got it." <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Irons, it's it's Thomas Keller's Ratatouille in a circle. We magic through his eye. That's what a food critic is. Yeah, it's almost like the top hat monocle wearing version of a food critic, really. <laughs> Except I think maybe she has stylish glasses or you know a designer shirt or like a slightly funky haircut or something like that. But that view of the all-powerful, feared food critic who can make or break a career, surely in an age of, like, social media, that doesn't really exist anymore, or does it? I do not think any restaurant critic has the power to close down a restaurant in this day and age. A.A. Gill thought he did, but didn't. No, he didn't. Um, (laughs) I just don't think... He's dead, dead, isn't he? You know, and you've got, like, you know, young people who go they would rather trust someone they follow on TikTok than read a restaurant mm-hmm. review. So I think this idea is probably based on like a 1980s idea of a restaurant critic. Mm. It, it really is. All of this felt like like the food they ate in American Psycho, and at least that was a parody of the 80s. <laughs> like at least in American Psycho it all kind of made sense. All right. You're going to hate the fourth course, Pete. The fourth course was the mm. one where I was like, this sucks. <laughs> so not the movie, just the, the course. But well, so during the fourth course. It's part of the movie. Sorry. Yeah. So Jeremy was a sous chef who I think idolized Jeremy, wanted to be him, wrote to him, was like, I, like my, career, uh, my career goal is to go work for you. And I, like I'm trying to remember because I saw the film a little while ago, and I think I blocked. The, I think I blocked this out of my memory because it sucked. Did he just he he wasn't good enough or like? I think it was a disappointment. He clearly wanted to be the Ray Fiennes character, this sous chef, but didn't live up to those ideals. 
Yeah. So, so, the, so the fourth course, he shoots himself in the head and kills himself. And, and then they serve like, a, like meat and three veg. They serve like lamb and like vegetables. I actually can't remember what they serve. I remember they roll him up in a bed sheet and yeah. um, move him out. And that's the moment. Oh, so he, he dramatically is like, that's it. I always yeah, they, they put up a big hey. bed sheet. He puts a gun in his head, mouth. He shoots himself. It's like it's quite a graphic scene. And then they're like, and here's your, here's your like, lamb with vegetables. Yeah, I think the dish is called the mess. And uh, Ray yes. Fine says, you know, Jeremy, you've made a mess of yourself. And I think when you're watching this movie, you're constantly going, something's not right, something's really off. And the moment the, the guy shoots himself, that's when you're like, oh, okay, this is like a completely messed up situation. And that's when all the diners are like, what the hell is going on? And then the restaurant critics like, oh, what stagecraft, you know, how theatrical, mm. which is oh my God, quite unbelievable. So <laughs> like, but hang on, like two of the people are regulars who come here often. <laughs> yeah, they had the same experience Wednesday last week. Well, I think this is meant to have never happened before. Oh, and you're also oh, okay. told the whole time this is like, this is going to be a menu to remember. We'll all remember this menu. Um, so, yeah, of course, that's when all the diners start to freak out and are like, what the hell is going on? Now, except with a notable exception of our foodie, who's like, this is brilliant. <laughs> I, I get right. it. I like, I understand all of this. This is amazing. And yeah, you're right. The, the critic is like, oh, how droll. This is clearly. What great acting. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. <sighs> I hate them so much. But yes, the rest of them panic. Richard, old guy, tries to leave and the staff pin him down and cut off his ring finger, at which point I think everybody now accepts this is real. Hawthorne's- or even that, that feels performative as well. Like, are we certain that happened or are we in Well, the wait, game? wait, wait. I guess you'll find out. Yeah, so we, we also realise Hawthorne's angel investor, Doug Verrick, to whom Slowick had to relinquish ownership of the restaurant to stay, af- to stay afloat during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it's what is one of the finance bros well no they do this thing where they're like he like basically doug's like you're all bad people but so much like i'm i'm a whore as well because i basically sold my soul to this guy doug slowick but because he's an angel investor and then they cut to outside and they put angel wings on him on a crane out into the water and the crane just like slowly drops him into the water and they all watch him drown yeah what yeah so, and also the finance bros, when they were trying to get their bread that didn't exist, they pointed out that they knew the angel investor guy. So they're like, you know, you got to take care of us because we know this guy. And clearly it's not a card they can pull because yeah. uh, Ray Fiennes has just killed that, him. That's right. That's what happens. Now, the fifth course, which begins with Slowick uh, admitting that he sexually harassed one of the female employees and then asking her to stab him and you think she's stabbing him like in the dick like that's just kind of what the camera makes you think but she's actually just stabbing him in the leg i think at this point they're like okay all the male guests will give you a 25 second head start to try and escape the island after which we'll chase you while that's happening and obviously they all get caught the female guests are invited in to have like uh, a, a a special meal by themselves and I think you, I think you might have skipped the bit where they serve a dish where because uh, Ray Fiennes gets stabbed uh, in the thigh, they serve a dish where I think it's like chicken thigh with 
scissors. That's right, on with top. scissors in it. Oh, like no. that's the whole point. Actually, I think I'm getting it mixed up because it's the Taco Tuesday night. That, yes. that that comes that comes a bit later. Yes. And again, it's Wikipedia, Lutran. So <laughs> right. it's um, all over the place. There's it's there's there's a mess because half of the dishes are like Heston Blumenthal, and half of them like like it's a memory of the ocean, and we're listening to an iPod while eating fish or whatever. And then half of the dish are like we foraged this seaweed and wrapped it in a local skunk tail that we found. You know, like it's a weird mix yeah. of like what of like the like Hawthorne has zero philosophy. It stands for nothing. Yes. Like I don't know what the point of this restaurant is, and I don't know why anyone's paying twelve hundred like American dollars for this, um, which is like a million Australian dollars. Yeah. But anyway, so okay. Slowick explains each guest was invited because they either contributed to him losing his passion for his craft or because they make a living off exploiting the work of artisans and workers like him and his team. So it's mm. it, so it's it's the old That's couple. That's the fucking dumbest. Wait, 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 no, no, shit. you're gonna hate this. You're gonna hate this. So it's the old couple who have the money to go to this restaurant all the time, but don't ever remember a dish. It's the foodie who But that takes isn't the- even true. Like, that's just a made-up, like, there's no couple like that anywhere. <laughs> there's, there's the foodie who, like, overanalyzes everything so the joy's gone. But, but he, has a, he has a wonderful, he has a glorious time. <laughs> this is really, like, like, there's no... It's a very one-dimensional film. You know, and yeah, you know okay. what? This is, this is actually the point where I, I was kind of giving it the benefit of the doubt Till this happened, because to me, I thought it was kind of actually making a powerful point when it was saying the the hyper exclusivity of fine dining and taking it away from everyone and taking away from like the joy of it Mm. was kind of like an indictment of everyone who was sort of part of this like foodie culture. And I thought it was going to be pointing a finger at me and at everyone watching. And I think Mm. a brave film would have done that. Like, but what it did was it made all these people bad guys. They were cheating on their wives oh, or God. they were like giving bad reviews or they were like shit. Like, so because they're all shitty people. Giving bad reviews. Yeah, me, but, but giving bad reviews that closed restaurants and ruined people's lives is the implication. The one part that made me laugh is the actor uh, got indicted because he was in that shitty movie which he didn't write or direct, and um, Chef Slowick said, yes, but on my one day off, I watched your terrible movie, <laughs> and it ruined my day. <laughs> it, just, it just sucks, right? Like, it, it, instead of making, like, a pretty powerful comment that, first of all, you know, a $1,200 meal shouldn't exist. Yes, like, that's it, right. It probably shouldn't, really. Like, I mean... But they don't even know what point they're making. <laughs> yes, no, they don't. That's right. That's right. Like, I hate actors in bad movies. Yeah. They're the worst. It's like, well, hang on. Is that a point you're trying to make? Well, I hate angel investors. They suck. It's like, what? And one of them is just the assistant of the actor. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and they're just kind of like, but but they, they explain it by being like, oh, but you were embezzling from me, weren't you? And she's like, yeah. And it's like, cool. Yeah, you are. Like, everybody in this has to be a bad guy. I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's like this this could have been one of those films where it's like hyper like capitalism is kind of the bad guy and thus anyone who benefits from it, which is pretty much everyone watching, 
is the bad guy. Like a brave film would have done that. A yeah. brave film would have made you leaving uncomfortable. But yep. this film very comfortably goes, oh, don't worry. The chef was crazy and mm. all these And everyone was bad, bad anyway. So they're all they're bad, fine. so they all deserve to die. Anyway, look. Ugh, this is the worst. Like, we, like this. Uh, like, it's not, like, it's this, an entertaining. Uh, like, I think yeah. the other thing is Lee Tran's right. It's a very entertaining mm. film. But it's all, yeah, it's hyper one dimensional. And yes. everyone who praised it is basically the critic character who's like, how droll. It's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, what, you know nothing about horror or film or satire or food. But okay, so. Or fun. They're not in the have fun club. Nice. Or the yeah. feel bad club. Neither <laughs> club. They, and they don't you're out of both clubs. Uh, so he announces that everyone present will be dead by the end of the night, which was fun. I like when it's like, hey, by the way, everyone's going to die. Since Margot's presence was unplanned, Slowick privately gives her the choice of dying either with the staff or the guests. There's this awesome moment where she's like, so can I just go? And he's like, no, 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 you're going to die, but you can choose to die with us on, like, the server side or you can die with the consumers who just take, take, take. They pay. They don't take. They pay the (laughs) price that he charged. (laughs) Like, what is, like, this is his business. This is his. Like, he he made this. He's like, fuck you for coming to this. (laughs) All right. So, at this point, he's like, I I realize, and, and he's like, the reason why I'm asking you is I can tell a service worker when I see one. And no, it's revealed like, that I'm she's so sorry a- to interrupt. This <laughs> proves what Lee Tran said at the start of the episode, true, of like you have one writer write a little bit and then another writer write a little bit. And then the like, and it's just these various things that have no connect, no connection to anything else, just kind of happening. Just kind of <laughs> So, so, oh, so anyway, so so our chef, Slowick, uh, like is basically puts two and two together and there's like, hang on, you're an escort, aren't you? That Tyler's brought to this. Um who had previously worked with the old guy and whose real name is Aaron. And I don't, I don't know if it's revealed in here, but, yeah, to your point, Lee Tran, like, she's basically like, what he made me do was say I was his daughter, say that I still loved him and he was a good person while he jacked up. So the kind of subtext there is that he abused his daughter, which is a more, uh, you know, uh, incriminating thing clearly than the fact he couldn't remember any dish from his previous yeah, yes, 11 yes, visits yes. to the restaurant. Yes, but also it's like it's just it's a little bit of a cop-out to make all these people just the worst people in the world. So it's like, it's okay that they die. And also, what did his wife do? Like, what did his wife do to deserve wife- being killed either? No, oh, and then the worst part was there's a point at the end where she's basically like, no. Like, I think she does, gives a nod to Margot. It's like, no, don't worry, I deserve to die. I was complicit somehow in all these things I didn't know. <sighs> like, it's, it's, a tr- it's a deeply troubling film the more I talk about it. Anyway. So, Slowick reveals that Tyler knew. So, the foodie knew. He was invited to the dinner months in advance and informed the guests would be killed. Despite this, Tyler was so zealous in his desire to participate in Slowick's craft that he kept the secret and hired Margot to replace his ex-girlfriend for the evening because Hawthorne did not do seating parties for one, which is a f- funniest joke. That I was- thought there was someone by themselves. I yeah, thought the we mom- had a drunk mother-in-law. <laughs> What is like this, this thing just crumbles to dust in your hands? But I'm then just... Slowick as well. Slowick's like, I'm gonna humiliate Tyler. So he's like, I hear you're a good cook. Come into the kitchen, cook something for me. And Tyler's like, What? I got to cook for my hero? And he's like, Yep, the whole kitchen staff's here for you. 
And then he asks him to cook something. And then I think he cooks like a pork chop with leeks or something. Like, he doesn't quite know what to cook. He undercooks it, like, really badly. Slowick tastes it. And he's basically like, this is exceptionally bad. (laughs) (laughs) And then. Classic, classic Ramsay, actually, like, in fairness. Any, like, Gordon Ramsay evocation (laughs) I'm always down for. Yeah, if Gordon, if it sounds like he's paying you out, it means he's going to compliment you yeah. and vice versa. He's like, oh, you've made me so unhappy at having an easy decision to support your career. Yeah. Mm. It's, yeah. Is this guy like Rene from Noma or is he Gordon Ramp? Like, is he every celebrity chef on TV? Like, it's like he has no character, really. And also the implication, uh, one of many takeaways from the film that I just found so, yeah, one-dimensional and blunt is that Oh, if you don't know how to cook, then why should you be allowed to go to a restaurant? Which is so weird. It is so That's weird. so weird. It's like people go like, oh, you shouldn't critique a film because have you ever made a movie? And it's like... Yeah. I mean, we've, we've critiqued 170 <laughs> of them so far. But, like, you don't have to, like, know how to sculpt to be able to go, I appreciate art or I don't like that statue, you know? But as well, going to restaurants isn't like, imagine if I could cook for the people who run the restaurant. It's not like, uh, yeah, that's not your dream. Yeah. You know, like, uh, the closest I could get is them cooking for me. No, I absolutely would not want to do that. But it's a, one of the film's very oversimplistic supposed messages like, oh, he thought he knew about food, but turns out he didn't know how to cook. But you can know a lot about food, but, you know, completely lose all confidence in front of, you know, some acclaimed chef breathing over your shoulder going like, what are you going to cook for me? Yeah, and then Tyler, then he basically is like, Tyler, you know what to do. And Tyler goes and kills himself because, of course, suicide works. You feel really bad and um, then you just kill yourself. So so it's a ir- deeply irresponsible film. Yeah, I, thought, irresponsible. I thought for a film with two suicides in it, it's a pretty yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, it's got terrible. Two, so- <laughs> yes! oh a pretty. You, you're so right. And in fact, like that is so fucked. Like yeah. you yeah. can't do that. You can't use not one but two suicides for like bad plot points. And also, <sighs> in an industry, in a critique of an industry that is notorious for like mental people, um, mm. you know, um, suffering from. Uh, mental health, you know, they're famous examples of chefs who've died by suicide um, because of the pressure or because of, you know, um, you know, it's a tough, well, tough like, that's industry. Well, like the oldest chef story. Yeah. That's like the first chef story. That's from the, the early 19th century, isn't it? LT? To like, be fair, like, to be French... fair, the writer's reference hmm. wasn't any love of food. It was going to a private island and being like <laughs> this. Right. So, yeah. so just give them some slack, okay? <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, so. Slowick asks Margot to go to the smokehouse and collect a barrel needed for dessert. As she leaves the kitchen, she sees Tyler's body hanging. En route, Margot sneaks into Slowick's house. Uh, during the tour, they're like, you're not allowed to go into Slowick's house. And they're like, why? And they're like, even the staff aren't allowed to go into there. But, but she goes into there only to be attacked by a jealous Elsa. Because Elsa's basically like, we, I know we didn't need this barrel for dessert. Like, he clearly is taking a shine to you. I'm going to stab you to death. Like, did, why? I can't remember why she wants to kill she's her. Like, she's like, you can't jealous. replace me. You can't replace me. Yeah. I think because she has, like, she gets invited to his office and Elsa's basically like, I'm next in line. You can't, you can't go. To-. And so she tries to stab her, but 
they have a scuffle and Margot acts. That's the other thing. It's like, I don't know how knife fights work, but in a lot of movies, <laughs> so, like the person who was tr- trying to do the stabbing accidentally gets stabbed. I don't, like, does that happen a lot? Is that a thing that also, happens? Also, they're know. always instantly fatal, which yes. I, you look, yes. I don't fully know how, you know, human biology works, but I feel like if you get stabbed, there's a chance you would survive depending on where you're stabbed. And you probably don't huge, die within two seconds. I think Adele's, Adele's given us advice mm. on this on the pod. Yeah, that, like, yeah exactly. You get, like, you want to get stabbed, you don't want to get shot. Yeah, I, and it's I, not that I, a stab can't be fatal. Of course it can, but, yeah, you're mm. right. Like, it has to hit very specific. It's not just, like, any like stabbing is going to kill you. Maybe it's not it, a video yeah. game where it's, like, press X to stab and then they yeah. die. Like, you have to hit something. Um, anyway, so Elsa's killed. She sees a framed. Oh god, this is the this is the worst. This is like, and you're right. They actually did see Ratatouille. So after seeing a framed Employee of the Month award showing Slowick as a young and happy cook at a greasy spoon diner, Margot finds a radio, calls for help, and returns to the restaurant with the barrel. A Coast Guard officer named Dale arrives from the boat. But after the guests are convinced they've been saved and like, help us, you've got to save us, he reveals himself to be a lion cook in disguise and returns to Can the I kitchen. Can I actually just backtrack? Because I actually really enjoyed this moment because before the Coast Guard turns up and they think they have a chance of being saved, the diners think they have a chance of being saved, and then Slowick says, don't try and like, you know, alert yourself to this guy. Like, don't try and be rescued because I will somehow kill this guy. And so it's actually a really, really tense scene where mm. they clearly want to alert this guy and get out of there. And um, they also have to pretend nothing's happening. And then this guy says to the actor, hey, weren't you that guy in that movie? Can I get your autograph? And so he gets his autograph and he walks out and the autograph actually says something like, help us. And so you actually go, oh, my God, like maybe – this is a moment. Yeah. It, it, where, you do actually think maybe yeah, there's like a Yeah, I thought it was like actually really effect. clever. And the guy gets out his gun and points it at um, Ray Fiennes. And you think maybe he's going to shoot him. And then he moves it to a candle. And it turns out the gun is like a firelighter that <laughs> lights a mm. candle. <laughs> oh I actually oh thought God. that was really funny just because it was such a tense moment. And, and, and I think maybe he lights, like, there's, a, there's also a funny moment where they bring out a cake to the finance bros and they're, like, sing happy birthday. And they're like, did you guys pretend it was my birthday? And they're like, yeah, it seems like a funny joke three <laughs> hours ago. <laughs> Which it's is actually yeah, funny. funny. You are, like, I... I and and I think, you know, one of the criticisms of this podcast is, like, we enjoy paying out a film, and mm. once we get on the payout train, it's hard to get off. Yes. And I appreciate the nuance you're bringing to this, Lee Tran. Anyway, we need to get through this, because this is a long fucking synopsis. Anyway, as dessert is being prepared, Margot mocks Slowick's dishes, I hate this so much, and loveless cooking, and complains that she's still hungry. And she's basically like, she's mm. the voice of the writers being like, You've taken all the fun out of food. Like, food's supposed to be delicious. It's not supposed to be overwrought. And I'm, like, the worst crime you've committed is you're supposed to feed me, but I'm still hungry. Mm. And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, well, what do you want? And she's, like, remembering his image, she's like, I'd like a cheeseburger and fries. Moved by her humble request, Slowick personally does mm. so. This is the Wikipedia synopsis writing, not me. 
finding joy in creating the dish <laughs> and serves it to her clearly with like this expectation on his face to be like, I hope she likes it, which is so dumb because if you're the best chef in the world, making a fucking cheeseburger would be like the easiest fucking thing in the world. Like it just, it would, you'd be able to just throw it to, like you'd, you'd be like, you're going to love this. Here you go. Here's, yeah, the, here's yeah, a perfect yeah. cheeseburger. Yeah, you wouldn't be like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> also, what I hate, that the movie is saying is like, uh, you know, if you have food that's slightly aspirational or creative, that's not real food. Real food is a burger. And he mm. would have been uh, much more happier if he just kept making burgers because we so saw that. So it actually is Ratatouille. <laughs> but not as, nowhere as good as Ratatouille. Oh, nowhere as interesting or funny or like. Ratatouille actually is motivated at some level by a love of food, but mm. yeah. this is motivated by a real, you know, desire to kind of piss all over food, uh, unless it's burgers. And Well, so, like, we did the farm, Lee Tran, like, and it was sort of meant to be, like, an obviously sort of vaguely, like, vegan, vegetarian propaganda thing of, like, see how shit it is of, like, what if we farmed humans the way we farm animals? And it's like, well... No one even farms animals like this. You've just made this up. Like, this, this and it's like, yeah, how shit is it? And it's like, yeah, well, I guess that's shit, but that doesn't mean anything. So for this, it's like, see this fine dining? Yeah, it's all a facade. And it's like, well, yeah, the film you've made is dumb and the dishes you've put forward are dumb, but there isn't a restaurant even remotely like this and this has nothing to do with your what you're purporting to critique. Yeah, and I listened to an interview with the writers where they said, yeah, Sometimes at the end of the night, you just want a burger after you go to these restaurants, uh, which is like basically the Yelp review of like That's fine dining. But it's not, <laughs> it's it's not, not even true because like, like, so full after having a fancy You have like meal. 14 yeah. courses. There's like bread you can't even finish. Um, the other thing I found just so frustrating is like, yeah, oh, burgers are real food. But anything that slightly uh, is original or imaginative, that's not real food. And I was talking to my friend Nick Jordan, who also writes about food, and he's like, ugh, it's always a burger. It's never like dal or anything. Yes. And I yeah, thought, exactly. it's so interesting. It's such a cliche. It's like, ah, oh, real people eat burgers. Um, I thought you were like Japanese steamed rice with egg on it and the little stuff shit shaved on top would have been the like. Oh my God. I would have been on board dish. for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why Ratatouille, it feels real when it's actually yeah. Ratatouille. But in Ratatouille, they make the Ratatouille in an unconventional and interesting way. Exactly. And also, like, name one. Famous chef who hasn't publicly stated how great a burger is. That yeah. is like, so I, I felt like there was true. a dread for like the last that 10 years. Every, direct, every so being like, I fucking true. love this. Or like, fried no chicken or yeah. whatever, you know, like all ribs or yeah. whatever. Yes. Even Renee anyway. and Zeppi opened a burger bar. <sighs> so Anyway, yeah. so look, look. Moved by her humble request, Slowly personally <clears throat> does so, finding joy in creating the dish. And after one bite, she's like, mm, this is delicious, but can I have it to go? He packs it up. She's like, how much will that be? Because that's the other thing. Remember, the whole price thing, he's like $10.95. So he pays $10.95 for the food that actually sustained her, which could have made a point about something, I think, but wouldn't. Um, and then she's allowed to leave. So that's her escape. What? Like, that doesn't mean any. Like, nothing <laughs> happened just then. Like- all right, all right. So we get to the end, right? Remember, because this film is told in dishes and we've, we, we were at the dessert course. 
And it's annoying that it ends with the dessert course because the dessert the course is never the, the final was course. A dessert. Yeah, there, okay. But there's like another course at the end, and there's like the the p- petit four. Exactly. Yeah. at the end, yeah. and it's, so it's, it's annoying that they don't even get that right. <laughs> but the dessert is oh god, you're gonna hate this. You're gonna hate this so much. Uh, uh, and l- I'm going to explain what it is, and then Lee Chan, you have to tell us your thoughts on this. It's an elevated s'mores mm-hmm. dish. The- so the staff cover the floor with crushed graham crackers and adorn the guests with stoles made of marshmallows and hats made of chocolate. And then the idea is that they're going to set the place alight and it's going to turn the guests into s'mores. First of all, Lee Tran, what did you think of the elevated take on s'mores? Um, it did seem a little cringe. Um, I did find it funny <laughs> when um, Chef Lois spends the whole time paying out how this is everything that's wrong with food, just this big junk food kind of sugar rush. Something I did find quite fun is- Sorry, and then being a fierce, frightful hypocrite for that being his, like, final dish <laughs> yeah, is exactly right. what he's criticising. <laughs> that's right. Um, something I did find funny was the director, Mike Mylod, talked about how he bribed his own children to make the marshmallow ponchos for the s'mores oh, dish. Wow. And I would say it does look really cool, the overhead shot of all of them with the marshmallows. Like, I would say the- technical side of this film is very impressive it's like shot really mm. well the casting's awesome the sound's awesome i would say it's a well directed movie but i think it's a very shallow movie in a weird way it is exactly what the film is trying to critique where it thinks it's presenting you something really substantial but you leave feeling really empty by feeling the end. hungry yes <laughs> that's so, so- good so, so uh, my uh, also, if it's an elevated take on s'mores, they literally just crush up the biscuits used in s'mores. They make stoles or, or like ponchos made of marshmallows that they don't do anything to. Mm. And then the hats are made of chocolate. Mm. There's not so, a lot of meat in s'mores either. But no, but they haven't. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so they haven't done anything to them. They haven't changed them at all. Anyway, so. Uh, Slowick then sets the restaurant ablaze, detonating the barrel and killing the guests, staff and himself, safely away from the island because Margot ran away, got on the boat and escaped. She, she stops the boat before she gets to safety, turns around and finishes the cheeseburger in silence uh, while watching the restaurant burn, using a copy of the menu to wipe her mouth. Keep in mind, this woman who was in- invited to this, went through mm. this whole ordeal managed to make her escape and is now just like i don't know like 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 arnold schwarzenegger or something (laughs) like turning around looking at the explosion it's just it make none of the characters make like even the characters who are characterized make no sense and that's anyway that's the end of the menu i would say that's the worst movie we've done by chance i go please the other thing that makes no sense is a whole night um you're told by the chef oh, the menu only makes sense, you know, by the time you get to the end, you'll understand the concept. And, you know, this is like a lifetime's work is going into tonight's menu. And this is like his greatest achievement ever is this menu. And you're like, it makes no sense because everything gets blown up in the end. So what legacy or what is there anything at the end? Who Who would would actually know? But I thought the point was he didn't find menus like that very fulfilling in any case because <laughs> what he really wanted point. to do was make cheeseburgers. <laughs> 
Yeah. This movie doesn't know what it's <laughs> no, about. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And this is this is the point I want to make. And I'm so surprised there were so many consultants on this film because it really does read as a film for people who don't like like maybe on a surface level understand how food works, but don't truly believe it or love it or like enjoy food. Like it feels to me as mm. like my analogy is I love playing video games. And 90% of TV shows or films that feature video games have not played a video game since the Super Nintendo. Because it's always like, yo, pass me a controller, I'm player two. Whoa, I'm getting high score on level two. No game has had a high score in like 20 years. No game has had like, like unless you're playing a Switch and they're never playing a Switch, has Mm. local co-op. It's just based on, like to your point, it's based on a perception Mm. of gaming that is so dated and has nothing to do with real life and thus alienates anyone who actually likes gaming. And I feel like this film kind of felt the same way. Yeah, I feel like the writers try to have it both ways because I've read and listened to many interviews they've done and there was one interview where they're like, oh, we want this movie to be like the jaws of restaurants so when you go to a restaurant you have this like slight anxious feeling that something could go wrong and then one of them goes oh but be nice to the people who serve you food and it's like you can't have those two (laughs) messages like you can't be saying we want you to like feel totally anxious and stressed out and you know worry that you might be like murdered (laughs) when you go to a restaurant but yeah be nice to your movie with this point and then say be nice to people in fine dining restaurants yeah well do you believe in this movie you just made or do you believe in what you just said about the hospital like do you hate hospitality or do you like it and that's the other thing it's like how can you say you love hospitality but it turns out that the chef isn't making a broader point about how food's being ruined. He's just being like, I hate how my life's turned out. So I'm going to punish everyone who made my life turn out that way. Especially the, like the angel investor who like helped him get out of financial <laughs> ruin. Like, <laughs> fuck this guy. Like, just from there. Oh, oh, I think the angel investor then wanted to have a say on the menu. I think that was the, the why he hated him. Yeah, uh, yeah. God. Uh, what I found interesting is the way the writers talked about the film was very different to the way the director, Mike Mylod, talked about the film, which had maybe a bit more humanity uh, and grey area in it, and I would have actually liked to have watched that film. And I think it's interesting that the writers and the director are involved in Succession because I think Succession obviously is about people who are like the 1% and are pretty mm. horrible, but what makes Succession watchable is that they make those people vulnerable enough and have enough character Uh, so that you do relate to them even though this world of private jets and um you know obscene wealth is so Mm. inaccessible but they just inject enough humanity and when i think about how one of the writers of the many wrote that bore on the floor episode which is you know, as extreme as anything you see on the menu, but you actually feel for the people who are degrading themselves for a piece of sausage in this bore-in-the-floor episode, even though they're, they're terrible people. And I think it just makes such a difference when you don't have such contempt for your characters, you know, which I feel like the writer seemed to have contempt for this entire world. Completely agree. I feel like the writers had contempt for me and listening to a synopsis <laughs> of it. Like <clears throat> this is like we've we've listened to some shit deeply unimpressive movies, and I think it's easy to be like, "Hey, here's a low budget nothing film that's just dumb," or you, you know, "Here's a movie that sort of had grand ambitions that fell short." This 
often it's the films that are the product of a lack of self-reflexivity, a lack of humility, and a lack of interrogating your own ideas. Like I'm struck by the number of consultants on this and the evident lack of insight into the actual thing they were making. I'm like, great, get the chef's table cinematographer to come on set for a week, great. But also, like, just have a chat with your, you know, cousin about just, like, you, you know, who used to be a finance bro who might be able to comment about what it was like going to some crazy dinners. Like, just the, the complete disregard for anyone who spent time watching this movie. I, I don't know. I'm deeply unimpressed. I would say that it is a very entertaining movie. Like, when you're watching it and if you don't think too deeply about it, there are funny lines. It's very pacey. Uh, it's very suspenseful. The plot twists are quite fun and interesting, um, mm. but it is a bit souffle-like in that it completely dissipates as soon as you kind of apply any kind of pressure um, to the actual structure of the movie. <laughs> I think a few takeaways. Uh, don't see the menu. Mm. Do watch charcuterie when it comes out <laughs> because I think it's a much more scathing yes. uh, indictment of uh food culture and the disparity between um, the haves and the have-nots. Go to Noma. I think it closes in two years, so get there quick, quick, quick. Get on your skates. And also, finally, new voices on food too. Lee Tran, tell us where, where do we go, Where? how do we get it, what do we do? Yes, you can get it from the Some Kind Press website and you can also get the first new voices on food book as well, uh, support diverse representation in food media. And I have to disagree. I think you should watch. I think you should watch the menu. I think it's a lot of fun. Oh, but okay. I've never you have diverse views on the podcast. Yeah, I've <laughs> never found something so entertaining but completely disagreed about the point it's trying to make. It's like a like a, a like a, a really hot person with awful views. It's like, oh, that's <laughs> conflicting. That's, I don't know. I don't know what to do about this. Um, and w- one final plug as well. Mm. I. Like one of the few, uh, God, I feel like such a bad person. I do follow Patreons, Patreons, Patreons. I never know how to, Patreons. Uh, One of the few that I follow religiously Mm. is Lee Trans. If you've enjoyed what she's throwing down, what she's serving on this podcast, uh, every week as part of a Patreon, she puts together a sort of Patreon only podcast and email Mm. about all the interesting food stuff she's eaten, read about. Um, talked about during the week and it keeps me incredibly informed. In fact, I feel like the writers of this film probably should have been following this <laughs> so true. and they probably could have written a better one. Lee Tran, thank you so much for joining us on Spooko. Thank you. It was really delightful uh, to be on the show and to savor, although I guess we didn't really savor this movie, <laughs> uh, but it, to digest it with you, I guess. Mm. We love you, LT. I'm still hungry. <laughs> Let's go get a burger. <laughs> uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? Can't copyright a menu, in my view. <laughs> can you not copyright a Wait, can you not? I say no. It's an idea, right? Put the bread in the toaster, take it out of the toaster, spread some butter on it. That's a fucking idea. No copyright in that. And so partly if I'm writing a blog, that's why I put 400 words of like fucking and then, you know, (laughs) he was my fourth experiment and the cookie was too chewy that time. And so I added a bit of fucking baking soda or whatever. That way it's more protectable by 
IP laws in the relevant jurisdiction, in I, my view. I love this. Law advice, food advice. Got Not everything, advice, got everything comment, I need. Comment. They're, they're just comments. <laughs> Sorry, we'll deal with, comments. Yeah, we'll deal with it next week when we talk about TikTok. 